Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. Okay, and we are back with another episode of Level Up with your host, Jose Medina, and my co-host, Chris Garcia. Hey. Last week, we discussed defining success. Uh, We covered where we get our definition of success and how we personally define success. We also covered what we can do to be more successful. Today, we're going to discuss failing forward, and I'd like to welcome our first ever guest, Raquel Medina. Uh, who also goes by Sage, uh, co-founder of Sage and Soul, an online spiritual community that is focused on empowering women and supporting those on their personal path towards becoming a witch. Welcome, Raquel. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be a part of your podcast today. Thank you for being here. Now, Raquel has started and been involved in multiple business ventures, many that have gone on to be very successful and a couple that didn't pan out so well. But through discussion, we're going to be covering how to learn from failure, how to focus on the solution and not point the finger, how to encourage innovation and creativity by embracing failure, avoiding failure by learning from the failure of others, and finally, the consequences of ignoring failure. John Maxwell from the John Maxwell Leadership Podcast said, fear of failure is often the toughest hurdle to jump in leadership. What are your thoughts on that? For me, the term fear really resonates because, you know, as a leader, a lot of times we become kind of paralyzed by decision-making. We're afraid to make a bad decision, we're afraid of the consequences of a bad decision. And so sometimes we'll make a not great decision just to be safe. Fear of failure really does prevent people from being their best self sometimes. I definitely agree with you. I believe that fear of any kind prevents you from moving forward, especially when it's in a leadership position. Oftentimes, leadership people in a leadership position, they find that they have other people relying on them And there's a whole nother level of responsibility that comes there. It's important to remember that when you're in a leadership position, when you fear failing, you ultimately fear trying. I find that a lot of people who find themselves fearing failure see themselves as perfectionists or oftentimes when it comes to making a decision, they have an anxiety disorder in regards to it. It's very important to be aware if you have those traits. If you call yourself a perfectionist, you may not really be a perfectionist. You may just fear failing. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. That's great. That's That's a very good call out. I actually really like that. (laughs) That What a way to hide behind your fear by saying, oh, I'm just a perfectionist. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's great. That's actually, and and it's funny that you say that because that's actually one of the biggest failures for people who who say that they're perfectionists because they spend so much time perfecting one task that they don't complete the numerous tasks that they have to complete. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now there are many ways to learn from failure in the military. We use the after action review of the AR. It's a methodical process that allows participants of an exercise or a mission to give what they call three ups and three downs, three good things that happened in an exercise, three bad things that happened and then give recommendations on, you know, how to make changes uh, so that the next exercise or the next mission goes better. In business, there's, they use a term called postmortem. Um, they also use um, after action review as well. But it's basically a review process of what happened, what went well, what didn't go so well, and what can we do better next time. It seems like a great way to learn from our failures, right? 
Yeah, definitely. Well, not when you get stuck in the blame game. Our default behavior is often to assign an effect to a cause. Psychologically, we can't help but point a finger, whether it's to explain you know, what happened or why something happened, to attack someone, or even sometimes to defend our own selves when we've either messed up or, or we just don't have an answer. When you get into pointing a finger, then you kind of lose the lesson because you're trying to assign the blame. And it's the easy way out. It's easy to point at someone and say, well, he or she messed up, and that's why the plan didn't go according to the way it was supposed to. But you don't learn anything from that. A lot of times we're so focused on the problem that we don't pay attention to the solution. Have you ever blamed someone for a failure that you experienced? So as a child, I blamed others for anything wrong in my life. It was my teacher's fault. It was my parents' fault. It was other children's fault on why I failed or why I didn't accomplish what I need to. But as an adult, I understand that that ultimately I'm responsible for the outcome of my life. And so it took me growing. And I oftentimes say that growth doesn't come with age. It comes with intention. And so when you find yourself failing and constantly blaming others, there's no growth involved in that. And so when I took the responsibility for my own life, I no longer blamed others for the issues and for the failures that came up in my life. Right. Love that because that's extreme ownership. Absolutely. Ownership. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, think, um, I think definitely blaming happens a lot when you're growing up and you don't know how to take ownership. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I know there was a lot of times when, um, you know, you talked about blaming your parents and I think that's something that we all do naturally. Um, even when we become adults and we continue to fail. When you yeah. hear somebody say, well, I was raised yeah. to do this. Yeah. And even me, you know, I used to say, I used to say, well, you know what, if my parents would have did this differently, then I would be further mm-hmm. ahead. Or if I had these different opportunities, I would be further ahead. Right. You know, and sometimes we're so focused on that that we don't focus on Well, just work harder. Yeah. And, you know, I find that when I hear somebody say that, I ask them, well, what can you do now? How can you change that narrative? If there was something that you lacked, okay, you're in a position now where that's not lacking and you're still in the same position. So it's ultimately not anyone's fault for where you are as an adult. And I think that blaming others is a childish mindset. And that's why when we're younger, it's so easy just to put the blame on others. But as you grow and you remove yourself from childish ways, then you ultimately take responsibility for yourself. Right. I like that. What has been your your biggest personal failure in business or, um, you know, just in your personal life? Um, sometimes letting my emotions get the best of me. It's natural to get emotional for certain things, but it's not okay in a leadership setting to allow for those emotions to dictate how how you act or how you treat others. It, and it could be a, an array of things. It could be, you know, maybe I'm stressed. Maybe, you know, something's happening that I'm getting tired of. And so I respond in a way that I typically wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that's where... I would identify in myself where I've where I felt that way. Not that I I expect for anybody to be perfect, especially as a leader, but you don't want to operate out of your emotions. You know, sure. you want to be calculated and you want to move the same way every time. You don't you don't want to allow your your emotions to dictate what you do or what you say. I see that as a failure. Sure. Sure. 
As far as my life is concerned, I don't consider anything in my life to be a major failure, but I definitely did overcome some challenges when it came to relationships in my life. And this includes friendships and even romantic relationships. I would find myself befriending those who intentions were to take advantage of me. And I also engaged in relationships with men who didn't respect me. And in those situations, I would, I would ultimately blame the other person for how they treated me, how they hurt me. It was only through working through my own personal growth and even through therapy that I did understand my role in every situation and the actions that I unknowingly allowed. Right. So it was only through that that I was able to ultimately grow. I think it's important. You talked about therapy and and sometimes we have to find someone who can or, or not even find someone. You just really have to have a conversation with someone else or even with yourself sometimes to kind of self reflect and figure out where you're contributing in that in that relationship or in that in that failure. Ultimately, we're responsible for how we're treated in a relationship, what we tolerate in that relationship and stuff like that. So that, that's a great point. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the blame that we then don't look back and say, okay, what could I have done differently? You know, my last three relationships have been pretty bad. Why am I continuing to make the same mistake over and over again? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Why, why do I keep falling into the same uh, cycle? You know what I'm saying? Yes. For me, I think one of my biggest failures in terms of business, I started a uh, exporting company in 2000 and I want to say like 2010, 2011, somewhere around that time frame. I got into a business that I didn't know very much about. And instead of doing my research and handling it in a way that that was educated and thought through, I took a lot of shortcuts and I made some bad decisions. And what ended up happening is I ended up losing about 100K worth of equipment out in in Pakistan, of all places. (laughs) Not easy to recover that. Uh, You know, I I lost a bunch of equipment. I also lost a bunch of money and it was um, not all my money. Um, Some of it was uh, investors' money. That was a big wake-up call for me because I was kind of found myself in over my head. Did you and, blame anybody for that? Um, you know, I blamed everybody but me, you know, <laughs> at first. I, I did. I kind of felt like it was the investors who believed in me. Like, they shouldn't have believed in me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you put too much on me. Like You um, weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't ready for this. The, the investor that I was working with had set some very strict guidelines for the equipment that I was purchasing and how I should purchase it and how I should ship it. And so I was like, well, if he wouldn't have put those guidelines on me, maybe I would have done it differently and maybe I would have controlled it better. Also, he wanted things purchased from the lowest cost. And so I had to find outside of the U.S. cost. And that was an increased risk. And so I was like, well, if he wouldn't have given me that restriction, I could have bought it locally and had more visibility. I did do a little bit of blaming. But ultimately, over time, I realized that I didn't do my homework. I didn't know what I was doing. And I kind of went into it half cocked, you know, not really ready uh, for the consequences of it. And so ultimately, I lost a lot of money over it. I ended up having to pay those guys back. So not a good situation, but it is what it is. It happened. And I learned from it. Uh, now I try to do a little bit more research. I try to be a little bit more deliberate. And when I launch into a business, I try to do a little bit more homework prior to kind of limit that exposure. Failure is a school of hard knocks. Who would we be without the life lessons taught through our failure? It's how we learn to walk, to ride a bike, to dance, to build, and, and to succeed. Failing allows us to build upon our character, feed our values of honesty, integrity, and honor. Failure is our greatest and our oldest teacher. Failure gives birth to courage, and it shows us the power of perseverance. It encourages creativity, risk-taking, and highlights an individual's enthusiasm and motivation. 
Failure encourages exploration and instills resilience. Accept failure and look at failure as a step in the staircase to success. Welcome failure as it is often necessary to learn what is required to be successful. What is the toughest lesson you've learned through failing? So Mark Twain says that good decisions come from experience and experience comes from making bad decisions. (laughs) So I've definitely had some experience in my life. (laughs) I'll say that the toughest lesson that I've learned through failing is that I'm responsible for my own failure. And oftentimes, you know, taking responsibility, just like you were saying, you lost over $100,000. Taking responsibility is a huge lesson. And sometimes it could be a painful one. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I've learned that lessons are embedded in every life situation we encounter. And when we're able to recognize the lessons and grow from them, then we didn't really fail because that can be used to keep trying to accomplish the goals that we do have. I feel like in business, it's important to learn from any experience that you deem as a failure in order to be aware of where you went wrong and how you can get better. That's the experiences that really ultimately pave the way to your success. Sure. What about you, Crystal? My first deployment, I was put um, in charge of doing medevacs. And for the medevacs, basically what I did was any time that a medical evacuation was needed by air, I would dispatch that aircraft, um, whatever aircraft was needed, and then I would send that to their location and then decide where that bird needed to go based on what the injuries were. Very important because medically, based on where different locations were, certain things could only go to certain facilities. So for instance, a head injury um, has to go somewhere where they can do a CAT scan. If you send them somewhere first and they medically you know, stabilize them, you waste time to get them to where they need to go ultimately. So I had received a nine-line medevac for a guy who had been blown up in a vehicle, had a severe head injury. They knew he had a severe head injury based on how he was talking to them. Very classic head injury, you know, signs and symptoms. So when they, when they called and I explained to them what the flight path would be, the commander on the ground said, absolutely not. We can get him to a facility over here. And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, I'm the commander, I'm in charge. And so we actually kind of got into it. And I was told to allow for him to make the decision for his soldier. And I sat back. It was very uncomfortable. I allowed for it to play out. And so the next day I got called on the carpet about him passing away. And I was asked what I could have done better. And I said, I could have stuck to my guns because I knew better. And I knew that commander didn't know better. By sending somebody with a head injury to a facility that couldn't help them, it took him outside his window of his golden hour to to be saved. And so... The lesson for me was that even in a case like that where, you know, somebody who thinks they know better or who, who has an emotional connection with somebody who, who thinks that they're making the best decision, that sometimes it's, it's a hard lesson in knowing that you had a part in that failure. You know, even when there's other people involved, um, knowing that you had a part in that failure and being able to say, you know what, I learned from this and this isn't going to happen again. I'm going to make a better decision next time. Next time I'm going to stick to my guns. And next time I'm going to say, you know, no, and this is why. You know, at a certain point, it it could have come to a point to where, you know, they just said, hey, look, it's not your call and you need to just let it be. 
in that situation, there's not much I can do at that point, you know? Right. But I personally felt like I didn't stand up like I should have in that situation. I just kind of allowed for them to make the decision and, and didn't refute it. So right. that was a tough lesson for me. When you were called on the carpet, what stopped you from blaming whoever made that call? I remember very well when I walked into um, the office of the person who wanted to speak to me, I said, you know what, sir, I failed to fill my role to the capacity that I should have because I knew better. And when I was told, hey, this is the commander, I said, okay, it's not the right decision, but okay. And I told him that. I want you to know it's the wrong decision. And he said, okay, I'm making it. And I said, I feel like I'm to blame. I gave him some data and I said, this shouldn't happen. And I shouldn't have even been challenged right. because he's a subject matter expert where he is. I'm the subject matter expert where I am. Right. But I was very careful not to blame because I own the fact that I had a hand in um, how everything played out. And so I definitely wasn't sitting on the sidelines. You right. Know? Yeah, that, that's a tough lesson. And I kind of applaud you for taking ownership for that failure because I see it wasn't really on you. <laughs> we look at that and if you were to assess the root cause of that problem, it was an overconfident commander who thought he knew what was right versus what medical professionals were telling him. Yeah, I, I applaud you for taking responsibility and owning that failure. But, you know, he blamed me. The commander wow. blamed me. Yeah, the commander said that it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have had to go back and forth with me. And you're talking a couple minutes. Right. What, <laughs> but, a, what a way to shift blame. And, and that speaks volumes to that individual's character in terms of his values and, and his ability to own the call that he made. Yeah, that, that's very weak from a leader. I'm not surprised that he lost somebody. You know, that's what happens in the military when you are a weak leader. Eventually, you get into a situation where you have to make a call that you're not capable of making and you make the wrong decision and then not owning it. You therefore don't learn from that, um, which means it'll happen again eventually. You know, uh, How do you teach your junior leaders uh, not to fear failure? And in your case, Raquel, you know, you're a co-founder of a business. How do you encourage your co-founder to not fear failure and to take risks? I think that the best teacher is by being that living example and through transparency. Yeah. I, I run Sage and Soul with my sister. And so I think that when she can see the transparency of my um, wins and my failures, she's not as scared to face her own failures and her uh, situations that may become successes. Right. Only through being that living example and showing her that, you know, sometimes when you take risks, you receive the best rewards. And even when you receive the biggest failures, you receive the biggest lessons and you receive the biggest growths from that. And just being there to help her when she does fail and to explain where we can learn and how we can grow from this failure and vice versa. Because sometimes it's a little bit difficult to take risks and it's scary to fail, especially when you have a business and your whole life is determined based on the business that you're running. Sure. It can be scary sometimes to make those hard choices, make those hard decisions, and possibly fail. But I think that once you become used to failing and you 
get used to learning and growing, then it becomes second nature and you're you don't fear you don't fear failure as much because you don't even see it as failure anymore. Right. Um your whole mindset regarding failure changes and you just see it as you're continuously learning and you're continuously growing. And through that there may be successes and there might be a few backslides, but as long as you continue to move forward, that's ultimately what matters. Sometimes I feel like failure is like a speed bump, and sometimes you just have to hit that speed bump and yeah. you know redirect yourself or approach the situation differently. Absolutely, Crystal. In your in your role with uh, All American Lumping, since you've been running this company for a little bit over a year now, what has been the biggest failure in your role as a CEO? I would say early on we lost a big contract. I at the time felt like I was a little bit overwhelmed. We were pretty short administratively. And so I was kind of trying to, to juggle everything at the same time. And I hadn't done any sales. And so because I hadn't done any sales, when we lost that big contract, I had to tell, you know, a bunch of people, hey, I don't have any work for you. And it was right when COVID-19 hit and people were already being put out of jobs anyway. So that was a huge failure for me. And a humbling experience to have to go and tell a bunch of people that you know are counting on their jobs hey you know like this was the only contract we had right so i felt like i failed i failed my my people what was the takeaway for you the takeaway for me in that was murphy's law you have to have backup plan you can't think that putting all your eggs in one basket is going to be the you know the smartest thing to do you need to have a you know plan a b and c and you right. know you need to have something there in case something does go wrong. Raquel, what has been your biggest business failure that you've experienced since you've been, I'd say you've been running businesses for several years. Like what has, <laughs> been, what has been the biggest failure uh, of all that stands out most in your mind? What stands out most in my mind is my ability to fail to plan. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. <laughs> A lot of times, like you said, I, I've had many businesses and that just comes from my passion. But I... Definitely want to emphasize that if you don't have a plan, then you plan to fail. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> True. So in a lot of my earlier businesses, I just had an idea and I'm really good at executing because I'm very quick when I'm interested in something. So I can say I want to start a business today and next week I'll have a website, I'll have a customer, I'll have things running, but there's no plan. And so a lot of times my businesses didn't completely pan out because somewhere down the line, I ran out of money. Right. I ran out of inventory. I've run out of even momentum, honestly. Yeah. And so I've been learning, you know, with our current business, um, more about planning sure. and more about making sure that we're putting ourselves in a position to be successful through that planning. And honestly, you both have helped me a lot with that because I have a very creative mindset and personality. So I oftentimes just will jump into something without really thinking about planning or is this really contributing to my end goal? Is this really um, feeding, you know, my passion? Is it aligning with my values? Right. And so only through those experiences am I here now. And, you know, I've had many businesses. And even though some of those are not existing any longer, it has created a step for me to be where I am at today. So I don't really even consider those very 
very much a failure, but really a learning lesson. Yeah. And I've enjoyed the process. Yeah. <laughs> I tell everybody that that the journey is part of taking you to that next level. Oh, and I definitely. Think, so even those, you know, those businesses that you no longer have, that's still part of your journey and what helps you get to that next level. Definitely. Definitely. I agree. As long as you learn. <laughs> yeah. I'm always learning. Trust me. <laughs> I think. I think if you look back to failure and where we learn our lessons from failure, we learn it in school. Mm-hmm. And in school, they teach you that failure is bad. Yes. And it's failure is, is something to be ashamed of. And I, I think we go through life thinking, oh, if I fail, it's permanent. Failure is permanent in most of our minds as we're, as we're going through school and we're getting ready to go into college. And sometimes we're so afraid of failing because we think that a failure is going to be forever. And we've all gone through things that are failures, like you know, having a car repossessed or getting evicted from an apartment or having a home foreclosed on or a bad relationship that didn't work out. You know, those are all failures. And sometimes, especially when we're younger, we can feel like those failures are permanent. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so um, that's a that's that's really good to to be able to look at failure as just a lesson yes. and as a temporary thing. You know. Um, You mentioned about, you know, when you're young and how you see failure. I also think that a lot of people see when they fell, that failure defines who they are. So now they are the failure and they associate being a failure. It's very important to remember the actions that you do are not who you are. Right. And so even if you fell, you're not a failure. Right. You have done something that didn't pan out, but you're not a failure. Right. IBM's Thomas Watson Sr. said, the fastest way to succeed is to double your failure rate. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I like that too. It means fail more. Yes. <laughs> fail more. Yes. Um, not all failures are created equal. The Harvard Business Review provides a spectrum with lethal failures on the far left being those that are based on violating a prescribed process, a law, or a rule. This is the extreme side of failure, and it's not just blameworthy. Typically, it'll result in uh, some serious repercussions, such as fines and maybe jail time. This is followed closely with inattention to details and overestimating your own ability to do a job. Um, and when I think about that, when I think about a lethal failure, I call it a catastrophic failure, really what I'm thinking about is you've failed in a way that you can't recover from it. Accidentally you know, hitting someone while you're driving your car because you're on your cell phone. That's a big one. That's a huge. You can't come back from that. That's a that's a failure. That the lesson is going to be forever changing you as a person because you're going to have legal issues. Took a life, you know, something like that. Drinking and driving and having an accident and killing a family. Something like that is a catastrophic, total failure. And those are not the type of failures that we encourage as leaders for our employees to take. That's not what we're talking about when we say you know learn from failing. What we're really talking about is those failures that are not lethal, that are not permanent, that are not major, that don't involve those types of repercussions. On the far right of that spectrum, you have hypothesis testing and exploratory testing. And those are the kinds of failures that you do when you're like trying something out. It's like trying on some new clothes at the mall and you're like, oh, is this going to fit? No, it didn't. You failed, right? <laughs> that's such a small <laughs> failure, right? So I'm just going to put it back on the shelf. I'm going to try on something a little larger, right? That, that's kind right. of that type of a failure. But it's the middle spectrum of that spectrum that the Harvard Business Review provides us that covers task challenges, process complexity, and uncertainty. That's where the promotion of failure should happen. When you're saying, oh, I don't know if I do it this different way, if it's going to be better or not. 
once you give it a shot, once you try it and see what happens and what you learn from that. Or maybe like you said, my business didn't work out because I failed to plan. Let's go ahead and do some planning and see how it pans out. These are areas where you should encourage risk taking. And with the right level of engagement and management, it can typically turn out well. Even when there's a failure, there's a lesson there that's learned from that. The goal is encouraging failure to establish an understanding of what a lethal failure is versus an excusable failure, and then encouraging those excusable failures. Failures that have limited impact on the business or your personal life are what we consider to be excusable failures. They're not altering, changing your life forever, you know? How do you think you encourage um, your employees or those around you to accept the exposure of excusable failures? And how do you develop that on your team? For me, what I try to do is I try to create learning opportunities. And the way that I do that, for example, when I was at Cardinal Health and I was working as a director of operations, I had a supervisor who continued to insist on running a project that I knew was a bad idea. I'm like, this project is going gonna, is gonna to cause you some trouble. It's going to cause you some pain. And I said, I don't think it's a good idea. She wanted to take her team from a 5-8 schedule to a 4-10 schedule because she thought it would be, it would be better for the team. They would get more hours. They get more days off. 4-10 schedule was always viewed as a preferable schedule because of the consecutive days off. And so she really wanted to try this, this new schedule, and I was thinking it was a bad idea. Well, I knew it was a bad idea for a lot of reasons, but she continued to insist. And so I finally said, okay, go ahead and run your 410 schedule for the next two or three weeks, and let's see how it goes. And she did. She turned the schedule into a 410 schedule. She allocated her labor, and then she ran, she ran a project, uh, like a pilot, on the 410 schedule. Immediately, she realized, one, she didn't have enough people on the right shifts at the right times to do the work that needed to be done. And really quickly, she began falling behind. And within a week, she came back and said, this is a failure. This is a complete failure. This doesn't work. I need to go back to a 5 schedule. And I said, okay, now you've learned the lesson. Share it with your team and celebrate that failure with your team. Call your team forward and say, hey, guys, we tried this. and This is what we learned from it. We learned that we can't do it with this many people. We can't do it with these times. And then go back to what you guys were doing. Now, it cost her two weekends of overtime in order to recover from it. You know, What, what an awesome lesson. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And what a great leader to, to celebrate that failure, to yeah. encourage her to celebrate that failure. No, absolutely. And I think that's where we mess up sometimes as leaders is that we call everybody in and we go, hey, you failed. You messed up. This project didn't work. And you don't say, hey, guys, great job trying this new process. Great job thinking outside the box. These three things didn't work, but this one thing... Yeah, this this one thing kind of improved the situation or, or made things better. And so I, I think sometimes we have to encourage people to try new things. And, and that's one of the things that I liked about working at Amazon because Amazon is really big on failing fast. They call it failing fast. And that means go out there, you try something. As soon as you realize it doesn't work, then go back to what you were doing or change course and do something different. And sometimes we don't we don't learn fast enough. So you make a mistake and you have what's called consistency. You want to be consistent. It's kind of like gambling. You've already spent $20, so why not go ahead and spend another 20 Another 20 after that and another 20 after that. And pretty soon you're broke and you don't have any money and you're leaving Vegas by calling your mom for you know trying to borrow some money. That happens because you're trying to be consistent. But it's important to stop yourself and say, okay, this doesn't work. Tried it for a few days. This doesn't work. Let's go back to what it was before. Have you ever experienced or known someone who experienced a lethal failure? I have a friend who's currently in jail based off of a a lethal failure that he made. And I find that a lot of people that I know that encounter these lethal failures, it's often due to emotions being involved, overacting in a situation, 
or taking whatever their situation they're in too personally, right. which causes them to act irrationally and do things that they may have not done if they were in a clear mindset. Right. And so there's a quote that I, I really like. It says, don't make a permanent decision based on temporary emotion. And I think that when you keep that mindset and you know, like, hey, I'm too emotional right now, or I'm not thinking as clearly as I should, in those situations, you may want to not make any decisions. Right. <laughs> just just, just yeah. take a little pause. <laughs> and I've learned that if I get emotional, I'll say, you know what, let's table this and come back tomorrow because I'm I'm too upset. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, what about you, Crystal? Have you, well, you know what? I think you shared a fatal sure. failure. I will say I have another example actually from that same deployment. And I actually believe you were there as well during that same time frame. But there was a National Guard unit who had a, a mission outside the wire. And, and there's certain things that you're supposed to do before you leave and go into enemy territory. You're supposed to do certain checks, checks of your equipment, checks of your, you know, your vehicles, checks to make sure you have the right people, you right. know, with you. And they really didn't do any of those. And so they headed out. One of their vehicles hit an IED, an improvised explosive device. It disabled the entire vehicle. It was pretty catastrophic. They were too far apart from each other. And because they were too far apart, they didn't even realize that the one vehicle had been, had hit the IED. And so they continued on. And one of the vehicles who, who passed that vehicle tried to get the attention of the other vehicle. Their heavy weapons weren't working properly because they didn't check them. And by the time they reached the first vehicle, first vehicle had also hit um, an IED and were stuck under heavy gunfire. So now they've only got one operational vehicle. The um, highest ranking individual on that team told everybody, pile into this vehicle and we're leaving. They were going to leave the other vehicle behind and all the people who were in it. And they did. Obviously, everybody in that vehicle died. It was actually a soldier who was pulled out of the vehicle. I won't give all those details, but there was definitely somebody alive in that vehicle. They left that individual. And for the person who made the decision, um, there was repercussions in that case for the soldiers who were in the vehicle, who piled into the vehicle. They had to receive intense therapy over all of that because they left their fallen comrades behind and even though it wasn't their decision the fallout of that was catastrophic for those guys sure that's devastating honestly yeah. absolutely and and yeah i was there that was a uh, admit team and typically you have convoys of vehicles that are all traveling together under strict guidelines and with support and aircraft on call and whatnot and these guys are just out there by themselves and when I was in Afghanistan, I was a member of a team, and, and we often traveled that way. And I can definitely see how that type of a call could be made by somebody who doesn't know what they're really doing. You know what I'm saying? You're talking, you know, that, that comes with experience and, and training to, to avoid a situation like that. That is definitely a lethal failure. I have a story, but it's, it's not as, as lethal or as fatal as your story. When I was a schoolhouse NCO, I was running the schoolhouse of Fort Lee, you know, they always tell you don't mess with the soldiers, you know, when you're a drill sergeant. And sometimes the temptation is just too much for you to kind of handle. And so this particular guy was a veteran. He'd been in the military. He was a guy I knew from, from before Fort Lee. I was stationed with him at Fort Bragg when he was like an E5. So I knew this guy for a long time. He got signed as a drill sergeant at Fort Lee, Virginia. He'd been there for probably about maybe six months. 
him and the soldier just connected this this private who was going through basic training. And so what happened was she started sending him pictures to his phone and his wife found it. And of course, his, his wife was upset about it and also being a soldier herself, took it to the chain of command. And he was chaptered out of the military as the E-7 with almost 20 years in. He was chaptered out of the military, lost his pension, all kinds of bad things. This was what I would consider a lethal failure. This is a, a life-altering failure where it's really hard to cover from something like that. But, you know, things like that happen definitely don't encourage those types of failures. Oftentimes, it is possible to learn from the mistakes and failings of others, therefore avoiding making the same or similar mistakes ourselves. We can learn from our parents, our friends, business partners, entrepreneurs, and people that we look up to. If someone has done something similar to what you are planning, it would be foolish not to use their blueprint and avoid repeating their errors. What lessons have you learned from others that have prevented you from making the same mistakes? I'm not very good at learning lessons from other people. <laughs> um, a lot of times I, I, I learn these lessons because I, like, like Raquel said earlier, like I'm kind of the same way. Like I get an idea and I'm, I'm moving fast forward. Um, and sometimes I don't fully plan out. I'm like, I'll, I'll develop the plan as I go. And that's just my personality. That's kind of how I've always been. Um, and that's not always the right way to be. And here's a perfect example. I was talking to Raquel the other day about investing and when I started investing, I didn't know very much about investing, but I went ahead and took $20,000 and dropped it all into one stock. And anybody who invests in stock knows that you're supposed to diversify, right? But me being the idiot that I am, I don't, I don't go and learn about investing. I just say, well, let's see what happens when I throw $20,000 into one stock. That's really not investing. It's called gambling. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <You> <laughs> and so um, my lesson was that, you know, the stock took a dump. And I lost about half of my investment. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, I just won't withdraw it until, you know, it goes back up and I recoup my loss. Eventually it'll go up, right? But an emergency happened and then I needed the money. And so when I cashed out, I cashed out with a 50% loss of my investment. So I cashed out at about 9.5K of a 20K investment. And so that was brutal. And as I'm talking to Raquel about investing, I'm telling her, hey, make sure that you uh, make, <laughs> sure diversify? That, yeah, make sure that you diversify because you don't want to have to learn this lesson yourself. And she says, yeah, I definitely don't want to learn that lesson. I have a tendency to kind of go all in. And that's something that I have to continue to kind of work on is uh, pacing myself, taking some time to do a little bit of more research, find out who's done it before me, look into what, what lessons they learned, and then try to you know mitigate my risk and mitigate my losses by doing that. But what if with that investment, you, you got you know, a 200% return? Would you have thought any differently than you do now? I think if you played the odds, the odds would You're have still been gambling. That, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the odds would have been like, even if I would have gained big, I still would have taken that big gain and I would have thrown it into another stock that would have lost. Eventually that it lesson would have been taught because the lesson there is diversify. Right. If you don't learn that lesson, you'll never diversify. So, you know what I'm saying? That lesson had to be taught. I used to work at a job where I spoke to a lot of elderly people and a huge mistake that they would tell me that I constantly got all the time was that they waited until they were retired to really live. But by the time that came, they had health issues that prevented them from doing what they wanted. Their spouse had passed, so the joy of exploring the world was gone. And even the energy that they once had to learn something new had faded. That just really instilled in me the lesson to live life now, to not wait until I have certain things to not wait until I've reached a certain status, that life is now and you don't know 
what the situation is going to be in the future. So you need to take advantage of the now and live in the now. Right. When it comes to business, I am constantly trying to learn from others. I look at some of the best businesses that people see as successful and I look at the things that they did and where they started and how they moved forward. And even people in my personal life who are successful or who I deem successful, I'd like to know, you know, what their mindset is. What, what's their morning routine? How do they get going? What motivates them? What books are they reading? Just so I can learn from others. I know that you said earlier that you kind of have to learn your own lesson in order to learn from it and grow from it. That's a fib. (laughs) (laughs) But I really am good at learning lessons from other people's mistakes because I see the struggles that they go through and realize that those are not struggles that I want to go through. So if I can learn from them and that kind of puts you ahead of the game, I feel like there are so many situations in life that we can all learn from and they're there for your learning experience. And so it's very important to take advantage of them. Just like you said, it's foolish not to use someone else's blueprint. Mm-hmm. And that's in business and that's also in life. Sure. Absolutely. Even if it's messed up, fix it. But why would yes. you want to start from square one? <laughs> yes. Why would you want to start with a blank page? Absolutely. Right. So I do do it in some certain cases. Yeah. But I think my default behavior is to just blindly dive off the diving board into the mm-hmm. ocean of <laughs> opportunity, <laughs> you know? And sometimes the water's a little deeper than I thought. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I can't swim as well as I thought I could swim. So I do a little sinking there. But no, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Definitely learning from other people. And sometimes, you know, it's very important that we are careful about who we learn from too, only because as a child, sometimes you're, as you're growing up, the wrong type of lessons or the wrong type of, of learning can happen, you know, you can go in the, in the wrong direction by following the wrong role model or following the wrong uh, mentor or whatever. When we ignore our failures, we find ourselves doomed to repeat our mistakes. Repeating a mistake is a pattern that turns into a habit and creates a failure loop. Have you ever found yourself in a failure loop? I can't say that as an adult I have, but as a, as a child, I can see many times where I'm choosing the same types of of friends. And I moved a lot when I was a kid, being um, kind of a, a military brat. And then when I moved out on my own, I still moved a lot. But I found that every time I went someplace, I always gravitated toward the same crew of people. The same guys that were getting in trouble, that were, you know what I'm saying, breaking the law. Like I kind of gravitated towards those guys that were just trouble all the time. And my dad used to say, man, trouble just finds you. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what it felt like. No, no matter where I was at, I got kicked out of high school and I ended up having to go out of the county to go to high school. And I went to an, a predominantly white high school. And even there, I mix, got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Like, I, I don't know what it is, man. It's like, you know, and so that's kind of a, the, to me, that was, that's kind of what I would describe as a failure loop where you're just, okay, I'm continuing to do, to do the same things over and over again. And therefore I'm getting the same exact outcome every single time. You know, that, that obviously changed once I joined the military. But before the military, I think I was definitely in what I would consider to be a failure loop, you know. Is the military what caused you to kind of force you to change? I don't know that it forced me to change. I, what, what it was, was it just gave me a different perspective on things. Because when you're limited in your scope and you're limited in your exposure, you don't know that there's anything else. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. You have to be careful who you look at as a mentor or as a, or as a teacher, or as a guide. 
Because if you choose the wrong person, especially when you're vulnerable at a younger age, you can follow the wrong path and you can get stuck into a failure loop. If you if your mentor is in a failure loop and you think you're learning something from that guy, like you're, you're, you're also going to be, ride. yeah, <laughs> you're also going to be in a failure loop. And you know, um, the, I was watching a news article about DMX and DMX was talking about how his mentor got him hooked on crack cocaine. Wow. Yeah, because he put it in 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 like a, a blunt and they and he smoked it and he got addicted to crack cocaine. Now you think about, you know, that was a guy he looked up to, a guy that he, you know what I'm saying, like he was like a father figure to him. And sometimes when we look at the wrong person as a mentor or as a guide, we can get caught up in that person's failure loop. He obviously was already addicted to crack and he didn't want to be alone in that in that venture. And so what better to do than bring somebody along with you for the ride? Misery loves company. Absolutely. I personally have found myself in a failure loop as well. And it's so funny because when you say failure loop, it makes me think of getting stuck in a loop on shrooms. For those who've never done shrooms, you can get caught in a loop and you can't get out of this loop until you make a different decision. I say that to say that for me, I found myself in a failure loop when it came to the jobs that I was choosing. As a teenager, I found myself working in a customer service job. And even after college, I was back working in a customer service job for minimum wage because that's where I thought I had the most experience. And ultimately, that was all I could do. I had a limited belief that kept me mentally stuck. And understanding that that was a factor in my unhappiness, it forced me to change. I had to become aware that I didn't enjoy customer service or working for someone else. I was only able to escape the loop by making a different decision. I like to say that I'm one decision away from changing my whole life. Life is made up of the decisions you make. And it's important to remember that you are the creator of your reality. And through that process, I learned to be more aware of myself. And when I say failure loop, I want to just say that I was the best in all the jobs that I had. I did customer service very well. I wasn't failing at the job, but I was failing in my unhappiness for the quality of life that I was living. Right. And I knew that change had to be made. And the only thing that was consistent throughout the board was the jobs that I was choosing. So it forced me to make a decision by becoming aware of the source of my failure. What about you, Crystal? Any fairy loops in your past that you can call out? Honestly, I think of relationships. Yeah. Um, so I think when you're when you get into the dating scene and you start dating and you date that wrong person and you continue to date, you know, you're finding yourself with the exact same person but a different name and maybe a different look. And you have to look at yourself and say, obviously, the same recipe that I'm using every time, it ain't working. <laughs> I need a right. time to grab a different recipe. No, absolutely. I have a friend right now who's in um he's he's locked up. This is like his fifth or sixth offense. Definitely a failure loop. The behavior hasn't changed and he hasn't really looked at himself and said, okay, I have to do something different if I want a different outcome. If I don't want the same thing to continue to happen, I have to change that up. Um, they say um, insanity is making the same choice thinking a different outcome will come along. Absolutely. <laughs> and yep. so uh, we have a lot of insane people in this world. <laughs> we, do. <laughs> we do. We do. We definitely do. <laughs> Although there are a number of lessons to be learned from failure, there are always lessons learned in succeeding and in achieving success as well. I actually prefer those types of lessons. Uh, we should all try learning from the mistakes of others and using effective planning and preparation to avoid failure 
and the tough lessons that come through failing. If you're ready to level up and maximize learning and growth through failure, then I encourage you to purchase the book Failing Forward by Dr. John Maxwell. For about $14, you can learn how to turn mistakes and failures into advantages and learning opportunities. Additionally, if you're looking for resources for your operations or business to improve on how your organization is conducting after-action reviews and postmortems, then I've provided a link to a resource guide from the Vanderbilt University that provides a simple but effective method for rapid post-project or post-operations assessments so that you can begin learning from your mistakes and failures. I want to thank Raquel for joining us today. Thank Thanks, you Raquel. for having me. It was yes, amazing. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. I'm definitely uh, looking forward to have you back on our podcast in the future as we talk about more stuff and definitely your perspective from a spiritual perspective and from what you do for a living with your business, uh, Sage and Soul. You know, I heard you talk about the power of now, living in the present, and I think that's a big part of uh, not fearing failures, thinking, you know, okay, I made a mistake. Right now, what can I do about it? Absolutely. And for anybody who is interested in that, I just want to give a little shout out to our podcast. It's called uh, Sage and Soul. Look that up on all podcast platforms and it's more spiritual, but there's definitely a lot of lessons that can be learned. And that was really the uh, the motivator for us starting our podcast because uh, the lessons that I was learning while listening to that podcast really kind of uh, attributed to two life lessons um, that we're sharing now on our podcast. Right. And Jose and I both listen to the Sage and Soul podcast. So we definitely encourage for you guys to go check that out, especially if you're looking for increasing your level of spirituality or even in navigating life and having lessons to help you do that. Help.